A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 123 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zune, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herlin, and with me like a universe of books that just won't go away, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan B. Butler! Hello, everyone. You know, we may have to change that opening now, because I guess if we say your ticket to the EU, if they're not using the term EU anymore, we're basically telling people we're taking them to, like, France. (laughs) You know, and I keep thinking about that, and I go back and forth, because, like, while it's now going to be called Legends, there is that aspect of, well, there are people that are still going to call it the EU, like like a transition period. I don't know. It's like part of me feels like we got to kind of leave it up for those that are refusing to call it Legends yet. <laughs> and, you know, there is a reason to perhaps keep that term itself alive, because from the standpoint of Lucasfilm, when they used to refer to the expanded universe, generally we're talking about all of the licensed products. That is the C canon, S canon stuff. Um, that formed that broader continuity, that official continuity, as they originally called it, but also stuff that was in can. You know, Infinity stuff is still technically expanded universe, not because it's in continuity, but because it was licensed. It was a way of distinguishing those products from, say, fan fiction and such. So I guess in Mm -hmm. theory, we do still have an expanded universe out there, but now instead of referring to an official continuity, we have to call that the Legends continuity. I've already started making those changes to the Star Wars Timeline Gold, which is going to be a pain in the butt. Oh, man, I can only imagine. You know what they should have done, though, is is given it like a Star Wars title. Star Wars Expanded Universe dot dot Legends. You know, I mean, why couldn't they have done that? And then, boom, problem solved. <laughs> yeah, I just figured it's just, you know, Star Wars Legends, just as a, a subtitle there. Um, speaking of which, folks... Uh, just before we get too far afield, because we have a lot to cover this time in terms of your feedback to all the recent announcements and such. Uh, if you do want to follow the development of the Star Wars Timeline Gold and discussion on more specific aspects of the ramifications of any of this stuff that's happening as I'm going through the process of changing those documents around and that sort of thing, uh, you can find that on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash SWTimelineGold, whereas the timeline itself is over at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. Uh, we also have recently had an episode where we discussed, and I guess it's better to say, uh, where I rambled and Mark periodically stopped to basically break the monotony and make me sound at least a little more sane. Um, in an episode of Rebels Roundtable, we have the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable out there, and our second data burst was about that topic from the perspective specifically of Clone Wars and Rebels rather than everything. And that is a show that now has several new things available out there for those who are trying to pick it up. Aside from just quite a few episodes that are out there, uh, you can now go to rebelsroundtable.com. It will point you to our section of starwarsreport.com, which is active now. You can follow us as you did before 
on Facebook.com slash Rebels Roundtable or on Twitter at Rebels Round. We also finally have the feeds up. So if you want to jump over from, say, the Republic Forces Radio Network feed, which will be ending soon, uh, and all of that new content is being put into the Rebels Roundtable feed anyway, then you can go and search for it in iTunes. You'll find us with our cool little black and orange logo. Just search Rebels Roundtable. Uh, make sure it's the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable that you're checking out, though. Uh, and then, of course, we have our regular RSS feed, which is feeds.feedburner.com slash Rebels Round, just like it is on Twitter. Um, kind of a shorter version there. So that is out there for you folks. And we want to mention it up front so that if something does come up, we can point you to that and you'll know exactly where to find it as opposed to trying to cram everything in at the very, very end of the show. And most folks are like, okay, we're done. Just give us the bloopers, dang it. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder your reactions to the canon slash legends news that came out last month. How are you Beyonders dealing and coping with this huge fandom-shaking news? Now, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Right. And as I said, we have quite a few emails here. I'm going to be taking the responsibility here of reading through them for you. And then uh, Mark will be taking first crack and the main crack at responding to them as we go. Um, quite a few came in. And I got to say, this is some of the, this batch has some of the longest emails we've ever received outside of ones that our buddy Andrew Gilbertson perhaps has sent in to us. Kind of tip of the hat to him. All right. So starting out from Jason Hunt. And bear in mind, this one from Jason Hunt, uh, he saw it as long enough that he presented it to us in double-spaced, typed format in MS Word, sent as an attachment. Uh, very nicely formatted item here for us. <laughs> he says, While the core of my own Star Wars fandom has been the films and the Clone Wars, I've been involved with the EU since I discovered the X-Wing books at my local library around 2000 or 2001. From that time and through my high school years, I devoured every Star Wars novel and comic I could get my hands on. Once I started college, my pleasure reading has had to take a back seat, although I have made time to read important stories like Darth Plagueis and Kenobi. While I've been unable to do a lot of reading in the EU for the last several years, I have found various ways to stay abreast of the basics of what has been happening in the EU. This has helped to make sure that I'm always aware of the latest information out there. Thankfully, Beyond the Films has become an almost one-stop shop for that sort of thing. I'll be very upfront and honest. The EU has never been my favorite part of the Star Wars universe, and it never will be. It is a wonderful supplement to the core stories, and I honestly feel it oversteps its bounds when it tries to become more than that. I don't want to sound cruel or nasty, but I feel compelled to remind people that all of Star Wars is a fictional universe. Many of us may have been impacted by the stories in a very profound way, have found deep religious or social meanings in it, or just developed attachments to the characters and stories. When viewed from the outside perspective of reality, however, none of it counts. Please, don't get angry with me for saying that. I honestly don't know if I've said that correctly. I simply felt the need to try to wake people up and take a mental or emotional step back from the situation. This whole universe that we've wrapped ourselves up in is nothing but a work of fiction, and yet we continue to fight internet flame wars with each other over continuity errors, certain characters, or even differences of opinion as if it's a matter of honor or national security. 
I only have to point out the three-ring circus that the Karen Travis versus the Clone Wars Mandalorian debacle was to illustrate this point. While I like to think that I have some sort of impact on our Star Wars community, and I've devoted a lot of time, money, and energy to this fandom, I've never believed it was something to get so vicious or violent over. I have found meaning, inspiration, friendships, and comfort in this universe, but I've never viewed anything in Star Wars as gospel. Star Wars has always existed as a mythology to me. The films and the Clone Wars are the core myths that tie everything together, and the EU has been the flavors, colors, extensions, and expansions that have added depth and intrigue to the universe. Most of it has been good to varying degrees. Some of it has been weird, while other bits of the EU have been outright bad. They've hit the mark on a lot of things, but I think they've missed it in others. For example, while I love the character of Mara Jade, it always bugged me that she became a Skywalker because I've always questioned the reason for Luke to marry. I never felt that was necessary. In the end, I'm glad the new films will not be following the EU for two primary reasons. The first being that if it did, we would probably know where it would end up in general sooner or later in order to keep other EU intact. The second being we now get a new spin on where the galaxy has gone that is completely different from the EU. I think they will and should make homages and allusions to the EU in the upcoming films. Let's return to my idea of Star Wars as a mythology. As someone who has studied many of the Greek myths for both academic and pleasure reasons, I'm quite comfortable with viewing Star Wars in this light. It never ceases to amaze me how many variations there are among the Greek myths. The differences can be very slight or astronomical, depending on whether the source is a storyteller like Homer, or it's an adaptation for the stage, or if the myth has been adopted and changed to fit the Roman gods. Needless to say, there can be dozens of variations for any particular myth. Yet we still raise torches and pitchforks over who shot first. Han was getting ready to shoot Greedo anyway, so I don't see how that changes his character. Anyway, my point being that in spite of all the variations, these myths are still taught in universities today, they all still exist, and every version has its own following. I find it hard to consider the old EU dead, particularly when those creating new Star Wars content continue to draw from it either literally or in spirit. I feel that this past incarnation of the EU will become a training ground of sorts for new fans to prove how hardcore they are. Giving them legend status, I think, could even raise some people's awareness of the material. People like Mark and Nathan will become keepers of this holy grail, and I believe that eventually there'll be a fan revival of this material. I look at the announcement and view it as simply another branch on the mythological tree that is Star Wars, but I know that my rose-colored glasses approach is not the norm. I've seen so many seem to throw up their hands at this announcement, including a post I saw where someone said he might as well burn the entire EU collection. I understand that there is frustration out there, and I sympathize. While I know my view on Star Wars and its relationship to the EU is not a common one, I believe many could benefit from at least considering what I've said. At the risk of sounding like a hippie, I think we should take a much more free-flowing approach when it comes to Star Wars stories, rather than a hard and fast, this happened this way, at this time, to these characters approach. I don't intend to diminish the impact and importance of the EU, and I hope I don't offend anyone with what I've said. My ultimate hope is that one day, all fans of Star Wars will be able to interact without friction and frustration, no matter their view on the EU, their favorite trilogy, or whether or not they like Jar Jar Binks. I love him. We are all an integral part of this great Star Wars community, and I would hate to see it become even more divided and fractured after an announcement like this. Now, uh, Jason, you got a lot of good points there. Pleasure reading. Man, oh, do I feel that. There's just not enough time in the day, am I right? I'm still working on Razor's Edge. <laughs> Just want to get into Darth Maul. Uh, yeah, there's so many things that you bring up. Uh, oversteps, you know, a, a lot of the EU's oversteps. I, I truly believe that a lot of those came along due to the mess that was created with the two-to-one universe debacle that 
you know, that Lucas allowed to create. Uh, apparently, somewhere along the line, I mean, I've always felt like Lucas has been clear. There's my universe, and then there's theirs. And then I don't know how the heck the marketing team came up with this. No, it's all one. It's all one. It's always going to be one. We're never going to have multiples because that to me was the lie. And perpetuating that lie, I think, created a lot of problems. Uh, you know, one of the things, that, too, that you'd mentioned uh, was how, you know, we have good and bad. And, and I think, you know, that that's going to be something we're going to get all the way across with Star Wars. I mean, you know, even the Clone Wars, we got episodes like A Sunny Day in the Void. I mean, you know, there's there's not always going to be shiny examples. And if I think that's – yeah, well, And if you take, you know, the, the whole run of the Clone Wars and you take all the EU books, I think you probably have the same amount of really bad episodes as you do really bad books. And I think, you know, a lot of time people just kind of overlook that. Uh, you know, the Travis debacle that you brought up, um, you know, I never quite understood the blind hatred for her stuff. I get why many didn't like it. I just never quite understood the hate. I mean, it's like, I don't know. In a lot of ways, as we get into the Bantam era of books and stuff, you know, there was that aspect of the galaxy turned their back on the Jedi. Now, putting legends aside and you stick with the film canon only, the whole universe is going to side with Palpatine against the Jedi. Okay, we fans love Jedi. Wouldn't people in the regular galaxy that live with the Jedi also worship and love these Jedi? It seems really weird that they would all just magically, automatically just turn their back on the Jedi and be like, yeah, they're a bunch of, you know, all because of this one event. Well, there's no hope in them, no redeeming them whatsoever. I mean, so I, I thought that Karen Travis's outlook on the Jedi and the way that, that they were starting to publicly be perceived by certain elements of the community in the planetary systems that they were at, I thought it made a little sense. I thought it kind of played into things, but a lot of people, they just really did not care for that. Uh, I too, like you expect a revival of legends. Uh, but for me, I really see it way down the road, uh, mainly because I don't think fandom as a whole is prepared to deal with this. Uh, but to me, I, you know, like I mentioned last episode, to me, it's a no brainer. You got the walking dead having two universes. You got Spider-Man with their multiverses, X-Men with theirs. There's so many franchises out there that have openly said that this is not going to line up with that. And they're both going to be their own entity and they're both going to go forward. And I see no reason why they couldn't do that with legends. The only problem right now though, is that while the EU always had a title, they relabeled it Legends, but never bothered to title Star Wars anything more than Star Wars and or the canon, and they're going to continue creating a what we're not going to call an expanded universe of books because they're going to be canon, but they never labeled this. They should have called it Ultimate Star Wars or the Lucas Signature Series or something, giving it a title as well beyond just Star Wars. That's not enough. When you go to a bookstore, a used store, and you find an old heir to the Empire and grab it, you know, not everyone's going to realize right away that that's a Legends one because the older covers are not going to have the Legends moniker on there. So just simply calling the new stuff Star Wars and calling it the end of the day, I, I think that's a little misleading as well. Uh, kind of kind of throws it off. And so I think that you need to have a point where Episode 7, 8, and 9 have ended. They've already come out. That trilogy is over. They're still putting out the standalone books. They're still – or uh, the standalone films. The books and the comics and the games that are going with the new films and everything have, have had a chance to be out there. There's a growing universe of those books. Only then could I see them going back to the legends and being very specific and saying it's legends, maybe picking up Sword of the Jedi because it was a book that was already announced. It'd be easier to, to kind of revamp and, and throw out an old book that was announced than create a whole new book in that other universe. But I truly think that given enough time, there's a reason to go back. Um, 
even if it's in the in the guise of doing more tales kind of stories where they're only going to do like one tale that's enclosed, you know, not keeping the universe open. But I really see no reason to leave it dead. You know, there are a lot of people out there that accuse Disney and even Lucasfilm in the past of being, you know, these milking these cash cows. And I mean, if that was truly the case, then they wouldn't be shutting down Legends at all. I mean, you know, fans are going to gobble up the new Star Wars. It doesn't matter. You don't need to put Legends on hold for us to come and love the new stuff coming out. I mean, we're not that fickle, and those fans that only love the films, I don't think they need to have that big of a safety blanket, really. Well, don't worry about that legend stuff, guys. It's not going to affect you anymore. We've, we've put it down. You can you can enjoy your Star Wars now. We don't have to worry about that big, ugly monster over there pretending to be Star Wars no more. I mean, really, are we that fragile? I don't think so. I really think we can handle having two Star Wars if they're clear. And that last announcement was a lot of the clarity that we need. Granted, there was a lot of people that still misread things. But that clarity is what's needed in this time moving forward. Yeah, clarity is probably the key thing. I do agree that it would be nice if the new books had some kind of label to denote the fact that whereas there is Legends being labeled, here's this other stuff that is meant to be kind of like, I guess they don't see a need for that because they're saying, well, this is real Star Wars. But as you said, looking at any previous works, I mean, I'm not going to be buying the Legends copies of anything because I've already got them in their first printing. So none of yeah. my stuff that's Legends is going to say Legends. And you're going to find that at a lot of uh, bookstores and eBay and things like that. Uh, to very quickly hit some of the points that he raised here, though, uh, I think his point on mythology is well taken, very much very much like what Chris Sarasi once said, I believe it was, about how essentially uh, all Expanded Universe products were considered windows into the saga, but some windows were clearer than others, that there would be uh, different interpretations. Or the idea, uh, as I used to say, that you need to make stories pliable to make them playable for video games, for instance, and things like that. Um, uh, to his point about how basically the, the EU should not be something to get up in arms and and uh, hating about, uh, I would agree. When it comes to Star Wars fandom, uh, I've said, and I've said plenty of times, if it becomes something that is a source of frustration, anger, angst, uh, annoyance, something that is uh, more harm than good to you, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, fandom mm -hmm. hobbies should be something that is meant to be uh, stress relief. Although certainly lately there have been instances in which I've been perhaps frustrated with more with some of the community aspects of things um, that I've thought about things like, you know, hanging up the podcasting for a summer, although I don't intend to. That was something that certainly crossed my mind recently. Um, I do agree with the point that, yes, it's all fiction, so none of it is quote-unquote real, but that is kind of uh, a false argument in this case. I mean, it's true, but from the standpoint of what the discussion actually is about, that's not what the key thing here is. Of course it's not real. But when it comes to the validity of what is considered an official continuation that should be followed as this is what we think of as the more canonical, the more real, the more valid version of this storyline, Lucasfilm spent years saying that one thing was going to be that official continuation, and now they're saying that something else is going to be and the old stuff is not. That's where the frustration comes from. Um, can I can I say that I really think that that came from the fact that Lucas took the term canon and flushed it down the toilet? I mean, canon's supposed to be the theatrical versions of the films should, in all intents and purposes, be canon. But Lucas kept tweaking with it, tweaking with it, tweaking with it, and each time this is canon. And I I really think that that approach is what led to everything that we have now. So moving forward, we've ditched that approach, and I think that's a good thing. 
It reminds me of a line that uh, Dennis Miller said that I can paraphrase here when it came to uh, religion and religious conflict, like uh, killing in the name of religion in the case of things like uh, Al-Qaeda twisting the teachings of Islam, the KKK twisting the teachings of Christianity. Um, the idea that it's kind of ridiculous to kill one another or to have that kind of vitriol and hatred claiming that your interpretation of the unknowable is more valid than someone else's interpretation of the unknowable. Um, mm -hmm. That in a sense there, you know, it, there's a lot that cannot be proven, just like in this case, I'm not saying that religion is fiction, because um, I don't believe that. But in the case of something that is not able to be scientifically proven, just like you would with any kind of work of fiction, there is in a measure of interpretation that goes with it. And just like with religion, there's the sense of, hey, this particular interpretation is the one that I'm going to follow because I believe that it is the real one. I think that's where you get that type of uh, fanaticism almost here. And while like I that, do agree like the internet, there was that internet uh, meme that went by with the the guy going to the door. Have you met Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? I already have a Lord and Savior. It's Doctor Who. What are you talking about? I have video documentation. You just have written fanfic. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Wow. Um. And on the subject of uh, whether or not to expect there to be a revival of Legends, I don't see it happening, uh, perhaps not even in the case of many years down the road. Though I will say, though, that this brings up one point and one question. One, uh, that they have now said, it has been confirmed, that the Old Republic MMO will continue, but it is continuing as what it has always been. What we have thought of as official continuity or EU or C canon which makes it ongoing legends at this point, um, just like the comic series that are left and so forth. And then it begs the question of, well, what happens to stories in Insider? After we get done with the current one that they're doing with the B-Wing Squadron and all, will we even see any more short stories coming up in Insider at <laughs> least prior to September when A New Dawn comes out? I mean, we have heard nothing about how that is going to work. And I would assume any of the stories in Star Wars magazine that is picked up from Clone Wars magazine, and may I say that Titan's U.S. subscription service is god-awful. Um, I've had so many show up beaten up from that line, and now uh, I, I went through the process of having one that didn't show up, so I called them to see if they could finally send it out because it never showed up at all. And they told me first when I called them that, no, Star Wars Magazine number one, the one that I missed, it doesn't exist yet. It hasn't been published. Bullcrap, because it was already on newsstands. I called them again, and this time they said, oh, yes, it exists. I'll send you one. And they sent me the wrong one that was from the Clone Wars line. It had nothing to do with the one I asked for. When I finally called them a third time, oh, we're sorry. We don't have any that we can send out. We'll contact Titan directly and see if there are any available, only to wind up getting a call back later saying, no, they're not available. Titans, if, if you're going to buy Star Wars Magazine... Screw subscription, pick it up at the newsstand because these people are absolutely incompetent. Um, that's, that's all I've been doing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's funny, it's, it's almost like Insider's Curse because this was the same exact issue that they had before Titan bought it. I mean, that was why I ditched my subscription before. And then you'd get like two issues and it was like, time to resubscribe. Like, wait, what? I just, I just started this. That makes no sense. One thing I, I didn't mention though that I wanted to mention before we move on, uh, He'd mentioned homages, and I really love homages. I think it's a good thing. And for me, moving forward, uh, the canon, I see it acting a lot like the way the Clone Wars did and the way Lucas would bring things from the element in, you know, like Quinlan Voss and planets and things like that. I don't see that changing. In a lot of ways, I see anything from Legends is open game. 
Yeah, only now if they bring something in, it's clear that this is not meant to be the same version. It's not like it's bringing in all of that character's stories with it. So Quinlan Boss being a beach bum, if they were to do it now, instead of having done it then, it wouldn't have been as much of a, a character change. All right, we're kind of getting a feel, but I got a feeling that a lot of our comments on this are going to be ones that we would have wanted to say to other emails, too. So we're getting a lot of ideas kind of out here at the beginning. Uh, this one comes in. This is actually one that came in about a month before the announcement. But I think it does a good job of encapsulating some of the things that were happening leading up to it and immediately afterwards in terms of uh, the division within fandom. It was actually posted on Facebook. So it's an oddity within our feedback here. But this is from Jared Rasher, who posted on Facebook saying, You asked the other day about not being able to enjoy the EU due to the unknown future. But another sad side effect this is having is it's hard for me to listen to a lot of podcasts or visit forums dedicated to Star Wars right now because there's almost a politics and religion level divide when you mention the EU. I have no grudge against anyone that never got into the EU, but I am tired of the revisionist history that portrays the EU as never having been of any major importance to Star Wars as a whole, and even more tired of hearing George's original vision cited as an invalidation of the EU, as if George's vision didn't change on a regular basis, or that George somehow would have been ruining his own artistic muse if he had clued a few people in on what he was doing, if indeed it was such a structured and consistent thing. I'm tired of people also acting as if there wasn't a concerted effort to have a consistent canon that was adhered to, as if Leland Chi's job was some sort of lark and something that everybody but George had to pay attention to. To hear some people online talk, Star Wars novels and comics were just like Star Trek, where each series or individual book or at least each individual author could just do what they want and ignore the rest. Trust me, there are times I would have liked a Zahn slash Stackpole slash Alston universe, but there is something way more compelling about making even the weak links work together with the greater whole. But most of all, I'm tired of the attitude of some that takes delight at the potential eradication of stuff that they really liked. If you want to have a reasonable discussion on the logic behind a total reboot versus the pitfalls of a partial reboot and the juggling act no reboot would require, that's great. But don't act as if your nerddom is greater than my nerddom because you consumed what was up on the screen at one point or another. There is someone out there that would laugh with glee if Star Wars were locked up in the Disney vaults forever and never saw the light of day again, decrying how silly it was that anyone liked the movies and pointing out all the things that they like that are superior. I'd rather stand with a fellow Star Wars fan and find the stuff we both enjoy rather than put up artificial barriers of coolness to prove one branch or another was better. Yeah, you, you nail a lot of things that, that being a dyed-in-the-wool EU fan will come across. Um, I, I, you know, I'm right there with you. It gets rough dealing with different folks in the real world, you know, not on the internet and my fandom side of things, uh, with fans uh, that are very, very casual. Uh, you know, they don't know much. And they come to me knowing that I know more of the things, but... It becomes one of those things where next thing you know, you've got to go back so far in the history of Star Wars to explain how everything got this crazy, which gets to that whole George's vision thing. I mean, you know, for those who use that as an end-all, be-all, they have very little clue about the history of our fandom. I could see, though, to a degree why some of them would want fans who do know that history to shut up because, hey – it comes back on that fact that Lucas caused almost all of this. Yeah, he didn't write the books that contradicted themselves, but he allowed those books to continue, and then he continued to play in the universe, changing the bedrock, which then forced those stories to try to find ways to mold around it. I mean, think about if, if before the Clone Wars came out, if they'd have made this break, and then Mortis showed up. We wouldn't have had Mortis in Crucible. You know, we could have ignored it, but no, we still you had keep, that thing. You keep saying that Mortis is in Crucible. Mortis wasn't in Crucible. Mortis was in Fate of the Jedi. 
Oh, I mean, I say Mortis loosely. I mean, when I say Mortis, I mean the arc, like the elements from Mortis showing up, the mother, the father, the brother, the son, but all that how stuff. Did, how does that show up in Crucible? Isn't it in Crucible where they talk about all that, or was that uh, actually that's in Fate, Fate of the Jedi. Jedi? That's the backstory of Abeloth. Oh, you're right. I keep saying Crucible thinking because that uh, the uh, monolith, because, well, they were calling it a Mortis monolith, weren't they? Or they didn't even know. That's true. They did compare it to the Mortis model. Yeah. That's probably where I, I keep. But yeah, the, the fact that it showed up at all in the Ablis story was, you know, one of those things that they could have ignored it, but they were still the EU universe was still trying so hard to accommodate those George's Vision fans and bring it in and find ways to make it work that it continued to break the expanded universe. I mean. You know, it, to me, I think a lot of that stuff comes back to it was George's vision always changing. And you're right, Jared. I mean, the, the, anybody that thought it was the end all be all needs to go back and re-listen to some of those old interviews that he had. I mean, when he flat out said that there is no story of Luke Skywalker after episode six. Well, here we go. I mean, is it Lucas's vision we're going to get? Are we getting Lucas treatments? Oh, hey, wait, Lucas treatments are nothing. Yes, I guess we got the treatments already. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I, I get where you know when you get these different ideologies of the fandoms of what they think is star wars and when they come together with other people how it can be conflicting in times for me when i come across the casual fans it's more i hate going over it all to try to explain where i sit because i feel like you know where i'm sitting as a fan is not something that the eu caused it was something that was caused before the eu existed and as it grew it had to deal with that fact and that fact was lucas uh, so for me, it's like it's it's harder to see Lucas in that whole light that a lot of people put him in. I mean, yeah, he's great. He's an awesome, creative person. But at the end of the day, while he created Star Wars, he wasn't the only one creating those films. You know, six, uh, four, five and six were not Lucas alone that did that. And yet he gets treated like it was all him. And I think that in a lot of ways, you know, it's it's kind of weird because at one moment we could sit there and be like George 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 and then all of a sudden we get the new you know shows coming out Rebels and everybody's like Macquarie 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 and it's like really who really created Star Wars here was it Lucas or was it Macquarie because I'm noticing more and more that Macquarie gets a lot more credit for things because visually he created everything and everyone's all about the films and their visualness so really who created Star Wars was it Lucas or Macquarie I mean it sounds like Lucas came up with a really cool story and had some really good plot points and then gave it to some other people and they fleshed it out for him but again, I don't see it all being Lucas's grand vision. I mean, I'm not a buyer of the vision. I'm, I guess I'm uh, dis disenfranchised in that regard. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, the the door that is bigger on the outside than the inside and the rocks in front of R2-D2 were always part of the vision. Um, yeah, see those on the Blu-rays. Uh, I'm actually going to hold off on a comment I would make to this one before we check out the next one because this one uh, delineates the same kind of, of division. Um, so let's hit right. that one. Um, coming in from Robert over at CanonWars.com. He says, wow, and this is more directed specifically towards me in the timeline, um, but it brings up some points I wanted to make sure that we got a chance to mention here on the show this time around. He says, wow, big news. I'm sure you've been getting far more mail and messages than I have. Sorry to contribute to the onslaught. Well, I suppose it's good that our old dual canons idea from 2004-2005 has been validated unquestionably as the way things used to be. My only lament at the moment is that there was no carve-out for the novelizations Lucas Line edited. I dare say that is a bit of an oversight, perhaps the most notable one. Hopefully those will factor in as among the most noteworthy legends to draw from. 
I will also miss the radio plays, but then I can understand their departure since Lucas wasn't involved. Nevertheless, I feel in many ways that older works such as those, created at a time when the futurist-slash-sci-fi mindset was closer to the 70s milieu, were closer in spirit to the original trilogy than much of what has come after. Indeed, I'd be willing to bet the J.J. Abrams films will be grand, but will miss the mark of the Star Wars original trilogy feel, just as surely as some would argue the prequel trilogy did. Anyway, thanks, and I'm glad to hear the Star Wars timeline gold will continue. I mentioned this because I wanted to bring up the, the couple of issues here. One, the novelizations, they have clarified, sort of, that the novelizations get to be part of the canon. But then they went through and clarified a little bit more and said, well, actually, the novelizations will be canon insofar as they match up and align with what exists within the films. So basically, the novelizations, when they say the novelizations are canon, it's no more so than they used to be. When the Holocron continuity database was created, the idea was elements within the novelizations that came from Lucas and were from the films are G-canon, elements that were created just by the novelization author, even if inspired by Lucas, are C-canon. Same kind of thing here. The stuff that fits the films is now canon. The stuff that doesn't is essentially legends and only exists within that timeline or continuity. So there hasn't been a carve-out for that. Unfortunately, they're basically treating it the way they did before. As long as we think of, of G plus T-canon combined essentially as what's now just called canon, and EU or expanded universe C canon stuff as what we call legends. Uh, hey, I think that makes things clear. I got a great joke on that though. You know, we've talked before about D canon for Disney, but but think about it with like a lisp. It's it's D canon, man. <laughs> or it's D canonizing is removing. I think that was the way that somebody responded to that. Uh, there, uh, over on the Facebook page. Uh, you know, the, the the reference you made to the dual canon, I think for me the hardest part of the divide is is Lucas' involvement. You know, I mean, as we're splitting it apart and saying, well, you know, the Clone Wars, it, it falls into the canon because Lucas' involvement. Okay, not everything that he was involved with made the jump. The holiday special sure didn't make the jump. The Force Unleashed didn't make the jump. Darth Plagueis, he, in the front of that was, you know... Hey, Lucino sat down with Lucas. This has Lucas working on it. You know, that didn't make it. The film novelizations, as you say, some of it didn't quite make it. The parts that didn't line up. But but see, I think the Clone Wars gets a lucky break because it acts like Lucas had his hand on everything and he didn't. They have never specifically said which episodes were the ones that Lucas had his hands on and which ones that he had nothing to do with. They just leave that whole series like, hey, it had Lucas involvement. It made it. It made the cut. And I, I find that's a little dishonest, I guess. You know, he at least had, the idea was that he would have a more directing heavy hand in the Clone Wars than he did in anything else, and therefore that's why that gets that special T-canon status, whereas stuff like droids and Ewoks and such, uh, the Ewok movies and stuff like that didn't. Um, with regard to that, though, and tying back into the previous letter, he talks about the idea of dual canon that you referenced there, and I think that to me... The, the thing about it is that this dual canon thing should have been something that was announced in 2008, frankly. Um, this should have been a situation in which the Clone Wars was never allowed to do what it did. Because what we have now, or, or at least, let's put it this way, or maybe Clone Wars is allowed to be part of the continuity up to the point where now in 2014 they say, actually, you know, Clone Wars is now a separate thing, the old version can still stand, which was the way that I had sort of advocated for their for quite a while. Um, instead, instead of leaving the Clone Wars as sort of its own entity, where it and its, even its tie-in materials, its novels, its comics directly tied into it, were sort of a separate thing, 
you had the Claw Wars wind up infiltrating, you know, as you said, Crucible with the Mortis-type monolith, um, getting into Fate of the Jedi, possibly Dawn of the Jedi, if we're supposed to believe the Thoyor and the monolith perhaps are related, and even guidebooks like, say, The Essential Guide to Warfare. It was when Clone Wars started to infiltrate those things, especially Fate of the Jedi, that I sat back and thought, oh, well, any hope of this ever being easily fixed by saying <laughs> there's just the two different versions of the story, which is basically what they're saying now, is gone. So now we're stuck in a situation where Clone Wars and its nuke into continuity is part of both timelines now, the new whatever you want to call it, and Legends, because you can't just remove it from Legends because of all the things that it now affects around it for better or worse. And there is a push. People keep talking on my Star Wars Timeline Gold Facebook page about how, no, 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 it should just be removed from from uh, the Legends continuity entirely. I don't see how that's possible. And I'm also having people say, well, now it's time to just start taking those two timelines you've got in the Clone Wars supplement for the old version of the Clone Wars and the Clone Wars cartoon series version of it and start melding them together to make it back into one version of events. Well, there is no official answer to how that works or if it even works. And at this point, I'm not really comfortable. I may be someday, but at this point, I'm not really comfortable or feel like I would have the time to do the research to try to integrate the two of them together because at this point, even if it was my best guess, all it is is a guess. There is no official word on how any of that actually melds together uh, as to when certain stories take place or anything like that. It falls back on Luke Skywalker's little quote from, I believe it was the Jedi Path. The the uh, chronology of the Clone Wars is confusing, as he <laughs> said. Um, well, they could do something where in, like, say, the Republic comics, they put out, like, a, a three issue arc where you find out that Anakin and Obi-Wan go on this trip. They find this monolith. You know, maybe it's called Mortis in this one. Maybe they never mention what the name is, but we find out later it is Mortis. They go in, they do something, and it travels them back in time and dumps them at the beginning of the Clone Wars, and now they've got a whole new timeline moving forward. <laughs> oh, Lord, it's Spock and Nero again. Um, <laughs> all right, another email comes in. This is a very short one. Uh, but answers a question that I think we can answer fairly quickly here. Uh, coming in from Eric Marshall. Uh, Eric says, I understand that the Clone Wars will be considered, for lack of a better term, Disney or D canon. Again, we don't have an actual term for it, so that's just kind of the, the parlance being used right now. Do you think that includes the televised seasons 1 through 5 only, or also the missing Lost Missions episode that are available only on Netflix? I would think that it would include both, since the Lost Missions were conceived before being canceled, but was just wondering what you two think. Thanks, longtime listener Eric Marshall. I think we're going to answer this one pretty quickly. Uh, yes, it does include the film seasons one through five and season six slash the Lost Missions. Moreover, it also includes the Son of Dathomir miniseries coming from Dark Horse Comics because it is a direct adaptation of scripts from what would have been season six. So yeah, all of that is in there, but none of the tie-ins like the novels by Karen Travis and Karen Miller. Um, the comics by Henry Gilroy, that regular comic series, the Digest, all those are gone. Um, the only comic being carried over is Son of Dathomir. See, I was uh, just on We Talk Clones discussing the lost ones, and, you know, William was mentioning, well, it doesn't count anymore. And I said, well, you know, this is one of the few items that bridges both universes. So while it doesn't count, you know, while my books, my legend stuff doesn't count in applying it to the canon, the D canon, it does apply to the Legends canon because it does exist in both. And so, you know, there are ways that, that you would try to apply things to, you know, that, that episode. And I, I think that that's a really interesting spot 
for that one product to be how it's able to bridge both like that. But I, I agree with you. I think they should have gone back in 2008 and, and done something back then. This one comes in uh, from Kenny Crayley Jr., who says, another short one here, uh, Dear Star Wars Beyond the Films, Hello, Mark and Nathan. My thoughts on the Star Wars EU relaunching announcement from last week. Uh, this news about the Star Wars EU relaunching is not a shock to me, and good news at the same time. Looking forward to see new Star Wars novels coming out. I like the EU, but I've only read a few books. My favorite EU novels are mostly the standalone novels and the official stuff, too. I like to pick and choose the Star Wars novels I read. Good news all around about the EU's fate. Keep up the good work, guys, and may the Force be with you, always. Doesn't really seem like it's EU is a relaunch. I mean, they rebranded the EU as Legend, and they've reboot public perception of what is the, quote, official canon, unquote. Which the official canon was never considered the canon. It always took a side seat to that because that whole dual universe thing. So I, it, it is an interesting place we're at, though. Yeah, so it's not... I mean, it's kind of a relaunch, it's kind of a reboot, but I guess the better way, better way to put it perhaps is it's friggin' revisionist history. Um, it's going back and, and basically uh, backing off of a lot of the comments about what the EU was meant to be originally. But they always said, always said that this is not Lucas's vision, this is essentially Lucas films and these licensees and that Lucas could trumpet at any time. It's just now, I guess, Lucas has been replaced by Disney and the trumping is happening on a big scale instead of a small one. Um, it's nice to see someone actively optimistic about what's coming. Um, now, this one comes in from Peter Webb. A longer one here who says, Hey, Nathan and Mark, I've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of months. That is, working through the archives. I'll still be lagging behind, but with the recent news about the EU, I thought I'd send an email with my thoughts. The night the news broke, the response it got was almost laughable. People were commenting, screw you, Disney, in harsher terms, sure, and promises to burn my thousands of Star Wars books, as if it were to be followed with an, ah, Mephistopheles. Sure, some people actually commented with quite witty sayings, but it seems a number of fanboys throwing the now non-canon book at Disney is, expectedly, ridiculous. And I'm meant to be part of that group of fanboys, the fanboys who wasted years of their life reading books which meant nothing. Maybe it's because, and yes, he did put PFFT, so I've got a just saying. Maybe it's because, I, <laughs> of course, now people are going to start putting other sound effects into the emails that I'm going to have to do. Um, maybe it's because I'm not as invested in the EU. There's still tons of books on my shelves I've not read. The only post-Return of the Jedi stuff I've read, the Thrawn trilogy, and parts of the Truce at Bakura, Betrayal, and Invasion. My Star Wars reading lately has been restricted to Dark Horse's line of comics, aside from Shakespeare's Star Wars and Book of Sith. Although some of the more recent stuff, or should I say Legends stuff, I've wanted to check out for a long time. See Plagueis and Kenobi. I still care about the continuity. A lot. I love Nathan's work on the timeline and this podcast as well. I own the essential Legends Reader's Companion, and there's a number of Wikipedia entries I've burnt into my brain. Obviously only a small sample. But I don't simply care. As has been said elsewhere, it's been a long time coming. Effectively, what we already had was every fan just assuming the EU was canon, and George Lucas saying it isn't. But he only had the films in which to contradict every EU source ever, and even then, he didn't do it that much. But it's not like the whole of Star Wars is being destroyed in one fell swoop. The fact is, Star Wars is elaborate. It's vast. Essentially, we get six eras. The pre-prequels, the prequels, 
Dark Times, Originals, Sequels, and Post-Sequels, i.e. Legacy. Not every story is linked, so you don't need to burn a thousand books in one go. Maybe two hundred. I can't see the sequels or Rebels or any novels contradicting Dawn of the Jedi. The Old Republic doesn't have much risk of being contradicted. The Legacy Era? Bar some references to the Yuzhan Vong and everyone's favorite Jedi Kukruk, it doesn't need to be linked to anything at all. Fanboys can see it as one timeline if they want to. The Clone Wars, that's the two-words version, and The Clone Wars, the three-word cartoon version, can still exist as one if you so choose, with some date swapping and reordering. Switching out to Evan Peel in Coruscant Nights, and switching out Barriss Alfi in Reversal of Fortune, and giving a few mental cosmetic changes to say, hey, Anakin wears this costume in this story as opposed to how it originally was depicted. Nah, these are Phase 1 clones and not Phase 2 clones, and vice versa, and disregarding one or two stories along the way. But I think that what we're going to see happen is maybe four books will be contradicted in one go, then maybe one short story, and then a couple of others, and then so on. But a novel about a Jedi archivist hunting for drugs or a backup story with Dexter Jexter are simply not going to be affected. The question is, of course, how much will the films contradict the post-Return of the Jedi EU? Untitled Star Wars sequel is set 30 years after Return of the Jedi. I turn to the timeline in the front page of Betrayal. The New Jedi Order is 25 years after A New Hope. So everything fits, right? We just cut off everything from that point onwards, and Nathan P. Butler will be slightly relieved to see he won't need to reread the Darkness trilogy ever again. Well, if you'd like to elaborate on the existence of the zombie re-embodied Chewbacca, with maybe a bit of planet dust in his fur, and the retconned illegitimate children of the entire main cast, be my guest. The entire galaxy rebuilds itself from a decimating invasion in the time it takes to build half a Death Star. Maybe we can say the cutoff point is at the end of the Bantam era. Maybe everything up to the Thrawn trilogy can exist. Or maybe we reach the point in the Thrawn trilogy where Han and Leia decide, we'll name our child this, shift the novel a couple of years later or a couple of years before in the timeline, and off we go. I remember discussing the Disney takeover and sequels with a friend a couple of months ago, in our Six Forms common room, and how everything goes kind of crazy in the post-Return of the Jedi EU. But we also talked about the events directly after Return of the Jedi. My friend made a point that we essentially get Imperial remnants in those early novels, and I extended that further by comparing it to the Nazis after the war. That their empire-slash-country has fallen, but it still continues in existence, even without a true leader. I don't think with the sequels there will be many issues with Luke Skywalker here is entirely different to how he used to be in these nine books. We can brush some stuff under a rug and shoehorn around if you so choose. We have no idea how prominent of a role they'll have in the sequels, or how long they'll stick around. The bigger problem for the continuity-obsessed, I think, is how the Imperials, or indeed any antagonist, or the reformed Jedi are portrayed. It doesn't seem like it will be so much a difference in character portrayal, but in the political scene. Maybe it's taken 30 years to rebuild and restructure the Jedi Temple. Maybe we'll see the emergence of the first signs of the Empire for the first time since Return of the Jedi. Who knows? It's too early to speculate with any sense of what will actually happen. It's the first thing to know when getting into continuity. Continuity is fluid. If Star Wars is going to start over, that's fine by me. We already accept it as a given that the Avengers we see on screen are not the ones on the page. And if one desires, there's two ways of looking at it. The new Disney content is the canon universe, or the Disney universe is non-canon and they can go F themselves. I had to say F because he actually used the word here. The EU is as much an official thing as it has always been a fan thing. It's all down to personal opinion and personal interpretation. I think we have some hope in the new Del Rey books. We're getting established writers who have worked on Star Wars since its inception. These are experienced writers who know the universe they're writing in well. 
I trust in Lucino to weave a narrative with Tarkin that is steeped in pre-existing continuity. Maybe I should adjust my perspective. But for a man who wrote a book as complex as Plagueis, I feel he isn't going to obliterate everything that has been written before immediately. The Legends banner across ten books shall take some getting used to, and I don't think it needs to be on every existing book. The new titles are a bit back to basics. Jedi, Sith, Tarkin, heir to the... But by no means do I think Star Wars is in a bad position. I hope I haven't gone too long. The Q&A shows are long enough as they are. But I just wanted to express my thoughts and see what Nathan and Mark's own thoughts are about it. I'm sure there are a lot of discussion points. Well, you know, Peter, you bring up a lot of good points. And I don't think that you're wrong at all. Uh, you know, I mean, I think about Heir to the Empire. It's been contradicted enough throughout, you know, all the different things that have come and gone with the prequels. And yet it still works. Um, yeah, there's a, you know, you have a point here, but it, it might be very hard to work with some of the works, um, you know, the older KOTOR era and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's going to work, but they also did kind of branch into other things like, you know, KOTOR did with Vector and so Luke and even Cade Skywalker kind of show up. Uh, but you could always, you know, throw Cade out as, oh, well, it was just a vision in the first place. There are ways to make it work, but I think the problem there is it gets into that, that area that Nathan likes to talk about, about that intellectual honesty. That if you create that universe and make it work in your head and then you go to talk with somebody about it and they don't see things the way you do, then you're going to have some conflicts there when it comes to trying to uh, understand what you're talking about. In that regard, I like what they've done with the cl the clean break. It gives us that, that clarity, you know, uh, by dividing it, they're able to curb also some of the hate aimed at the new stuff with that clarity because they're able to. Hey, this isn't supposed to line up. Uh, so now the anger is more at the decision to split them in in the first place, not the fact that the new stuff's going in a different direction, but more so that everything that came before it has been put on hold. Um, you know, and I mean, that's where, where, where part of me kind of gets worried. I don't want to see it all sit on hold. I'm fine with it being its own universe. It always was, but now it's actually, you know, got that officialness. I want to see that universe continue as an alternate universe. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with riding on and calling this Miles Morales's universe and ultimate Spider-Man. That's fine for me. But it does make you stop and wonder, though, if the story group has told the new authors what elements from Legends can come over and which specifically cannot. Because uh, I do get that feeling, as they said, they're going to be mining the old EU, the Legends battlefield here for things like weapons and planets, locations, occasionally a character name and so forth. But it does make you wonder if they have a list of things that they know that they want you to stay away from. You know, like flow walking, uh, Berger and her whole talks of there is no dark side, those kind of things. You know, stay the heck away from that. Uh, but yet this over here, that's OK. You can take from that. Uh, I mean, I'm just throwing this out as a speculation example. But what if they say, yes, you can take Mara Jade, the character, the way she looks, and that's as far as it goes. You know, you can you can make her an imperial hand or you can make her part of the empire but that's as far as that goes. And then from there, everything has to be new. Uh, you can have Jaina Solo, but there's not going to be an Anakin and a Jason Solo. So you only get her name. You can have her her appearance. And that's as far as that goes. You know, those kind of things. But it does make you wonder if there's a list somewhere that the story group has. Because, you know, we fans are already looking at it going, hmm, what could they do? And I would like to think that for once, there actually is a plan more than, well, what do you think, George? I mean, because that's kind of what I got before. It was like, well, we'll just wait for George to decide. And whatever he decides, well, that's solid. Yeah, I agree with the whole, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth with the whole intellectual honesty thing, that as much as we might like to find a way to fit 
the new stuff and the old stuff together, given that they have now told us that they are not meant to be together, um, any effort to do so would not be intellectually honest. It would be the realm of personal canon. I want this to fit, so I'm going to make it fit, even if that's not the case. Uh, and while that may work in one person's head, it kind of screws up any kind of logical discussion between people uh, with differing views. Uh, differing, not in the sense of opinion, but differing between this is how it is and this is how I'm making crap up in my own head. I would also say, though, that uh, it is a good thing that we have experienced authors coming back because they're able to get the feel of Star Wars. But I wonder, as, as Mark does, what they'll be able to actually use. I would imagine things like ship names, character names, planet names, species names, those types of things, that kind of encyclopedic knowledge will be helpful. And I think because you've got these pre-existing Star Wars authors writing, that a lot of that terminology will come back. And we won't wind up seeing, for instance, new names for species like we did with the bird people in the disappeared in the Clone Wars, where they had to basically change the species name or say, well, they're so widespread that, see, they're known as this species from this planet and this species from another because they named themselves after their home planet, not after their actual species anymore, because they're so far flung, or anything like that. So I don't expect to, for instance, see um, Ithorians all of a sudden called Hammerheads again or something else, um, but I don't see them being able to tap into very much of the previous E of the Legends stuff. Uh, very much like what you see in a lot of cases when you look at the fantasy flight games, role-playing game stuff, where most of it at this point tends to be locations and species and weapons and ships that tie into previous continuity because they've shown up there, as opposed to doing a lot of heavy stuff when it comes to the characters, which ironically is what their LCG, their uh, living card game, does with characters like Kyle Katarn, Mara Jade, and others showing up. Um, I would hate to see Mara Jade come back into the continuity in that sense uh, only to wind up having it be a diminished role that winds up causing even more angst in fandom about one interpretation of the character versus another. I mean, imagine if the last command, instead of being, you will kill Luke Skywalker, turned out to be, pick up my laundry on your way back to the Death Star. <laughs> well, I mean, think about Battlestar Galactica, though. I mean, that worked with Starbuck, and they, they went from male to female, and... I didn't feel like anything was lost from the role by having Katie Stackoff play it. This is true. This is true. All right. Next one here. We have uh, an email coming in from Dominic Nardi. Dom, he says, uh, Hi, guys. I posted my thoughts on Facebook, so this probably comes as no surprise to you. But I thought this might touch upon some points you'd want to address in the show. I can understand why something had to be done with the EU, but I'm pretty disappointed with the way Disney and Lucasfilm handled it for three main reasons. First, the messaging was unclear and even a bit deceptive, probably unintentionally so. The initial announcement on StarWars.com gave the impression that only the post-Return of the Jedi EU would be relaunched. This led many fans to think, and some still think, that all EU prior to Return of the Jedi would remain intact. It was only later that Jennifer Heddle's Twitter post clarified the situation. Then we got questions about the novelizations, Ewok movies, etc. As a joke, I asked if the planet Stoojon is still Kenobi's homeworld because that came right out of Luke's mouth in a Daily Show interview. But there's an important point in that many major EU characters or plot elements did originate or were approved by Lucas. The making of the Force Unleashed book depicts Lucas as being heavily involved, and Lucas told Lucino that Plagueis was a mun. Or mune, I guess you're supposed to say now. So despite the relaunch, I feel like there's still a good bit of uncertainty that will hopefully get resolved. Second, I was disappointed that Lucasfilm and Disney didn't even try to save some of the standalone stories that would most certainly not contradict any future movies. I understand that the post-Return of the Jedi EU had to go. Perhaps even the post-Phantom Menace EU. 
But who gains from invalidating Kenobi, Darth Plagueis, or KOTOR? I find it hard to believe that Disney is going to tell stories set 4,000 years in the past or retell the story of Darth Plagueis. This isn't just a case of me being a fanboy trying to hold on to the EU. Some of these earlier stories actually explained what was going on in the prequels. I didn't understand what was going on in Attack of the Clones or why until I read Plagueis. As a friend told me, the E in EU could also stand for enhanced, because some of those stories gave the movies more depth. Again, qui bono? I suspect at the end of the day, Disney just didn't want to pay somebody to go through all of the EU material to figure out what would and wouldn't be canon. From a business perspective, I understand that. From a storytelling perspective, it's sad. I don't want to sound unduly negative, because I really am excited for the new films and books. If there's one bright spot in this, my faith in Del Rey has increased. I'm excited to see Kemp, Lucino, and JJM on board, my three favorite EU authors. I'm glad Del Rey recognizes talent. Second, Del Rey's messaging has been much clearer than Lucasfilm slash Disney's, and indeed Heddle's Star Wars Books Twitter posts and Star Wars Beyond the Film's Facebook page are the only reasons I know what's going on. Thank you for all your hard work trying to sort all this out and for trying to be upbeat. Thanks, Dom. Yeah, you know, my issue with how it was handled mainly came down to timing, but you do have a point. I mean, sure, wording might have added more clarification, but the later tweets from Jennifer, I thought, for me, that added more confusion. I mean, for me, the post itself shouldn't have needed additional clarification. They should have had it all into that post. I mean, to, to go back and go, well, and here's some additional clarification. Why do it in tweets? I mean, does that sound like a way to get it out there to everybody that's going to be looking at the website? I don't think so. I mean, is there alternate Facebook posts that say the same thing? I haven't heard anything about them. All I've ever heard of is tweets. There's all these tweets out there, and I don't know about many people out there that, that love Twitter or hate Twitter, but those of you that probably hate Twitter probably hate the fact that when you go scrolling back through your feed, if you've been gone for a few days, it's very hard and or very boring waiting and waiting and waiting for those posts to come up, and then you finally give up and never see what happened between the hours of such and such and so and so on whatever date it came out. Uh, so I do think, you know, you're right in the aspect of if they were going to have to add more clarification, they should have got that post done right the first time. Uh, but I don't know. I think for me, the, the biggest thing that I didn't get when I read the article was the aspect of the novelizations fitting and not fitting to degrees. Uh, that was, you know, I had assumed that it was all tossed, uh, which gets to the other part, you know. I think that, that they needed to toss it all just for the clarification side. That, that it, it was drawing the line in the sand that made it obvious to everyone. And by everyone, I mean that the hardcore fans that were on both sides of the debate as to whether or not the EU counted. You know, getting back to that whole, well, there's my universe and there's theirs. I mean, they really needed to get back to that. And, you know, yeah, I hate that they got back there. But I, I think that by going forward from here, we won't have that issue again. Uh, but, you know, you also brought up uh, having, you know, the standalones kind of make it over. And while I agree that would be cool, and, and if they decided to down the road say books like Plagueis and Kenobi make the jump and pick certain ones, I would be okay with that as well. Or or flat out say like with the Clone Wars that, okay, Plagueis, uh, Kenobi, the Clone Wars, these all exist in both universes. Boom, problem solved there. I'd be okay with that as well. But I think, you know, when you when you say pay a person, I think the people that they should have been paying to do that would have been Pablo and Chi. But I think that the reason why they couldn't do that is because both were probably busy heading up the story group. Now, that's not to say that the story group probably isn't working on making those decisions, and maybe they will go back to it. I don't know. But 
I don't know. When you talk about enhanced, I mean, I, I just, I have to look at Revenge of the Sith. I could not get through the movie with the same amount of love that I had for the movie without having read that book first. There was too much that happened too fast with very little visual scenes to really get me going. I mean, when we get to the scene where Palpatine wipes out the four Jedi masters on film, it happens so fast. You're like, what in the books? That scene is so powerful. And, and even with the seduction of Anakin and, and, and Padme's role, just falling short and being left on the floor, on the floor. I mean, you know, we, we've heard things about diversity in star Wars and stuff. I'm surprised no one's come down on Lucas for cutting Padme's role out of episode three. I mean, she had a much bigger role and it would have immediately impacted Anakin's, the way he was perceiving things with her and his jealousy towards Obi-Wan. Like that would have worked so much better if he'd have left all that in and, and it, it didn't go. But yeah, enhanced, that's always been the EU for me. Uh, but going forward into this new stuff with the whole, uh, you know, D canon, as I'm going to call it, the author selection that totally fills me with hope. I mean, Kemp made it, you know, I have been dying to know what Kemp had planned for Jaden core. And the guy's only been in star Wars for what? Four books now. Not even that, maybe three. Could it even be two? I, I don't, I can't think of any beyond the, the, the camp duology at this point. I mean, you know, he's only done those two books and already he's drawn me in. I, I like what he's been doing with the stuff. And that was in the old expanded universe. I mean, he was able to take the stuff from there. Now he's going forward into that the whole new open era. So again, it gets me to that point where I'm wondering, you know, what the story groups told them they can take and what they can't take because every one of these authors are good at taking things and pulling them into their story in ways that they weren't contradicting things that came before. Now they don't have to worry about that contradicting things before. So it's like, what are they going to pull in? Yeah. I mean, let's see. Um, okay. Several ways to address this, several uh, directions to come from here. Uh, I agree with Mark that you need the clarity to be able to say either this is in or this is out overall, because otherwise you wind up with a bit of a mess, kind of like we had in the early days with the Star Wars EU. Things like, well, is the Glove of Darth Vader series or the Jedi Prince series, whatever we're calling it now, is that going to be part of it or not? It was published post-1991, and yet it's contradicting Courtship of Princess Leia. But, I don't know, they, they could in theory go through sometime in the future and start pulling books in. I mean, they did that before. When it came to the official continuity as it launched in 1991, they said none of the previous stuff counted. And they wound up eventually bringing in all the early Del Rey books and the Marvel comics and the pizzazz stuff and so forth, the, the LA Times newspaper strip stuff. So there's a possibility, but I don't see it happening anytime uh, in the near future. Um, I do agree with Mark. I don't tend to do as much on uh, Twitter because it just it's not as user-friendly of a platform. That's why usually if you see something on there for me, it tends to be pretty... A few and far between, unless it's something automatically being retweeted off of Facebook. I do love the idea of the E possibly being able to stand for enhanced, because I do agree. Things like uh, the Revenge of the Sith novel, the Stover effect, as I call it, that's a huge part of my enjoyment of that film. Uh, and you got books like Darth Plagueis that did a very good job of adding to things uh, and really making things feel deeper. Especially, I mean, take Darth Maul. I mean, barring seeing Darth Maul in the Clone Wars, it's only been recent stuff like Wrath of Darth Maul that gave us any sense that he had much character beyond brooding and lightsabers, and that was about it. And we got Lockdown and such that have built on that character. So adding depth, definitely a good thing, but I'm hoping that's what we're going to see with this new canon, adding depth, though it may be adding uh, in different forms or in different directions that we might have expected to see it before. Um, and hey, you know, if 
the, the folks out there who don't like the expanded universe can say that EU is EU, as in it's bad, then yeah, we should be able to say that the uh, E could stand for enhanced. But let me put this to you. Talking about the idea of, well, it's not like they're probably going to touch on things back in the distant past, or maybe even the far future. But let's take the distant past one, okay, uh, with KOTOR, or with uh, Tales of the Jedi, or with the old Republic MMO and such that's out there. Um, bear in mind, remember, in Lucas's vision of Star Wars, which presumably is what they're building off of, the Sith began with 2,000 years before Phantom Menace. It began with that Jedi who left, who we now in the EU think of as Phanius slash Darth Ruin, and eventually led up to the slaughter of most of them and Darth Bane setting up the Rule of Two, with Bane being a Lucas creation that then developed and developed in the EU and then developed briefly with Mark Hamill's voice in the Clone Wars Season 6. But I would argue that the reason why you wouldn't see a lot of that pre prequels era stuff, or even stuff thousands of years ago in general showing up, is because maybe what they're going to say is there was never a Sith society before the one from which Vader and Palpatine come. Maybe the Sith were never a species to begin with, nor was there ever a society where Dark Jedi became Dark Lords of the Sith. Maybe all these schisms we had prior to the so-called New Sith with Ruin, and then on the way up to Bane, and then up to Palpatine, and so forth, maybe those never existed on. In fact, as of right now, in canon, they don't exist at all. We don't even know yeah, what the old... Repu- yeah, we don't even know what the old Republic means anymore. Because the old Republic may be referring to thousand generations, or it could be referring to, you know, the Republic that has stood for a thousand years. What Republic were they talking about uh, when talking about the Darksaber being stolen from the Jedi Temple during the time of your Old Republic. There's all kinds of references to the past that now have to be looked at somewhat differently, a little more at face value, from the Clone Wars and the films that the EU's little tweaks and retcons to no longer affect because that EU is no longer part of that new canon or the D canon or whatever you want to call it. So I would argue you won't be able to see those things from thousands of years ago, even those pulled in, because as far as they're concerned... Those Sith and Jedi orders and those conflicts, those wars and such, that's not quote-unquote real because the real Sith order is the one we see in the films only. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, we could find out that when when uh, Vizsla is telling Kenobi, you know, your old Republic, we could find out that the Jedi at one point controlled the old Republic and then that old Republic fell. I mean, <laughs> there's so many ways they could redo this. All right, so three emails left. This one coming in from Scott Hume, who says, Hi, Nathan and Mark. So I your post on Facebook today, and since I have the day off and therefore have the time, I thought I'd send you a quick email. Personally, I couldn't be happier with the announcement last week about the end of the EU as we know it and the next evolution of the Star Wars universe. I have nearly every comic and novel that has been published, and like most fans, I've loved some, liked some, and hated some. I got into the books as a way to fill in the gaps that weren't filled in from the movies, either because they took place after Return of the Jedi, or just because they were unanswered questions in the movies that the books and comics would explore. Now that we are getting new movies, I'm relieved that the Star Wars EU we know and love will be its own sort of pocket universe, to use a DC Comics term, rather than trying to shoehorn the new movies into the Star Wars EU continuity. In the long run, I don't think any of us should have expected that Disney was going to tie their $4 billion investment to 30-plus years of books and comics that the average person knows very little about, 
that has been read by a fraction of the potential movie audience. Star Wars isn't Hunger Games or Harry Potter, a book series that was adapted for movies. It's a movie series that had more than its fair share of spin-off books over the years, but ultimately, it continues to be, first and foremost, a movie series. Having said all that, I'm still hoping that some elements of the EU make it into the new movies. Specifically, I'm hoping that Daisy Ridley plays Jaina Solo, and that Donald Gleason plays Luke's red-headed son. Even if there are stories that are different, if Han slash Leia have kids in the new movies, and if Luke is married or a widower and has a son, I hope they use the same character names. But I've been saying that since day one of episode seven being announced. I love the Legends EU and will likely continue to reread many of these books in the coming years, but I am hopeful that what we get next will be even better. Thanks for always putting out a great show, and may the Force be with you, Scott Hume. You know, and, and thank you for that, May the Force be with you, because it is May the Force be with you day the, at the day we're recording this, by the way. Uh, you know, happy. Uh, for me, one regard about being happy with this is I may finally be able to complete a Star Wars collection. There is that one side of things, because I always looked at that collection as like, this collection's never going to end. And now I'm like, well, okay, I've got a spot where it could potentially, I could I could get it all. Uh, you know, going to do some hunting. But there is that side of things where, you know, Disney was excited about the the holocron, all these characters and stuff. So there was a small outlook where you could think, well, maybe Disney's going to take and and you know validify everything, bring everything EU into canon, make it all count, and move forward with there, thus forcing people to then go back and buy these books like they're doing now in a different way, where now they're rebranding the books as legends and they're putting them out, and so people are still buying them. But at least that way, then it would have been like, well, we've already got this established universe of books, plus all these new ones we're going to put out. Like, there was a small sliver of hope that that might have happened. I, I admit that it was a tiny sliver on an ant, but it was there. But one thing that I was just talking to Riley and Bethany about on the Star Wars Report was how some events could go differently. I mean, you know, at the end of New Jedi Order, when Luke goes up to fight Shimura and he's got Jason and Jaina with him, you know, the scene that they show in, in uh, the Essential Guide to Warfare, I think it is, is where it comes from, or it could be the uh, Essential Reader's Companion. Uh, it's glorious. But I was thinking about that. That same scene, if it were to play out differently, and instead of those being his nephew and niece, what if it was Luke that had the twins? You know, I mean, imagine how much more the training would have been intensified had it been Luke's own kids versus his niece and his nephew. I mean, you know, I'm I'm more more willing to put my own kids at risk doing things for fun than I am my sister's kid. You know, I mean, so I was thinking about that, like the potential there is changed. And, and it's that potential that keeps me excited. I get always excited about that. Yeah, I would say that I agree. And this is something that we talked about on our previous episode. We were talking about this. There weren't a lot of options they could take. You know, they could make the new films completely beholden to previous continuity. They could make it a separate continuity or they could wind up basically saying, you know, let's do the Wrecking Ball approach that they did with the Clone Wars. Say it's going to have to fit, but to do it, you're going to have to smash aside all these other things, and then it's going to be a big question of, you know, what's in, what's out, what's kicked out, what's in, and just an absolute freaking mess like the Clone Wars era is. Uh, the clean break is the most logical decision for them to take. And to, to the, those out there who were saying, well, the EU has existed for so long, Disney has to take it into account. They better take it into account. They need to take it into account. On what planet were you living? Um, as cool as that may be, never have the films had to take into account the EU. Never has the Clone Wars, T-Canon, had to take into account C-Canon and below. And did you really think 
that in order to make a Star Wars trilogy that is as open to most audiences as possible, especially given how much they've been talking about accessibility for so long, uh, even to the point of letting Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2 crap all over things now that it's, you know, being crapped on as well uh, as part of Legends, you know, did you really think that at any point that somehow they were going to make it beholden to what has come before? Why on earth would Disney, in trying to make an accessible movie trilogy to make some big bucks, say, hey, let's take this story, we're going to put it 30 years after the events of the classic trilogy, and we're just going to have to have a crap ton of exposition to explain who these other characters are, what's the deal with the Yuzhavan, what does Coruscant look like that, and so forth. There's no way they were ever going to do that. It was a question of, basically, were they going to make them separate continuities, or were they going to do a wrecking ball approach? That third approach is of saying they're going to be beholden to it is almost a false choice. Because, realistically, the chances against that happening were certainly um, of a type of odds that C-3PO wouldn't even bother to calculate. It was that certain they weren't going to take that course. And anyone who said they should have and that they expected them to is either dreaming or delusional. No offense intended. Yeah, I know I'm delusional. I see things all the time. I see Star Wars people. Two to go. Jeff Kenda writes, Hey guys, I just wanted to give my two cents on the fate of the Star Wars EU. Honestly, I think this is a brilliant and much-needed reset of a series of books and comics that have gotten so large that it was nigh impenetrable for anyone who might want to get into it. I love the Star Wars EU from the first time I read the first Han Solo adventure book back in the mid-80s. I bought up and devoured all the West End books in the interim years and was ecstatic beyond belief when I learned they were going to put out more books to actually continue the story of the heroes I loved as a kid. The Thrawn trilogy succeeded beyond my wildest imagination and was a return to the universe and characters I loved while adding a ton of new characters that are still some of the best loved and my personal favorites in fandom to this day. And it didn't hurt that the story was compelling. I couldn't wait for each book to come out. Then, almost instantly, my love-slash-hate relationship with the EU started. Truce and Bakura came out, and it was okay. Courtship Princess Leia came out, and I wanted to tear my hair out more and more with each passing page. The Jedi Academy trilogy came out, and started the awful Super Weapon of the Week trend with one of the most ridiculously stupid super weapons ever created. It was the Mary Sue equivalent of a super weapon. A Mary Super Weapon. Eventually, the X-Wing book started, and I realized that if nothing else, at least occasionally, we'd get really good stories in the EU, so I kept reading. And a part of my entertainment with the stories was the ability to rip them apart or gush about them with like-minded friends. That all said, the EU has been going on for over 20 years now. That's not counting the earlier books of the Marvel Comics run from the early 80s. It has had up years and down years, but the end result is a literal ton of books that are all supposed to tie into each other in the main storyline. There is absolutely no real entry point and no real way to gauge quality level for any reader who wants to jump in now. It's confusing. And it's about 50-50 good-bad. Someone who likes Han Solo and jumps in on the Corellian trilogy is going to be really disappointed. Someone who likes Boba Fett and jumps in on the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy is going to be really disappointed. Someone who jumps in on the Fate of the Jedi series because it's the latest big series to come out will have absolutely no idea whatsoever what's happening. It's basically an intimidating, impenetrable wall of books that was probably losing more readers every year than it was gaining. With the release of the new movies, they've decided to continue the big three story on screen, pretty much wiping away all the stories that we've come to know. And again, I don't have a problem with this. To expect the writers of the new trilogy to go back and read all the information in all those books, some of it absolutely jaw-droppingly awful, is insane. More insane than that is to expect that your audience has to go and buy all the stories and read them to understand what's happening in the movies. 
Star Wars is first and foremost a movie franchise, and the movies will never, and should never, be beholden to the books or comics or anything else for that matter. Restarting the EU will interest a lot more new fans in it. It gives them an opportunity to start over. Their heir to the Empire moment, if you will. No one has to look at the rebranded legend line of books and say, oh, I have to read all that? Forget it. They can pick and choose from that line of books and enjoy some old stories if they want, but they still have a fresh, new, living, and actually officially tied-in series of books and comics. That's pretty huge, because as much smoke as they blew up our asses about how official the EU was, I will always remember the entry at the beginning of the West End books when the EU first started. Quote, This and all other products that take place after the events depicted in Return of the Jedi are the author's vision of what may have happened. The true fate of the heroes and villains of the Star Wars universe remains the exclusive province of George Lucas and Lucasfilm Limited. Unquote. Maybe this is stuck in my head from the time I read it, but I never really considered the EU as a hardwired part of the Star Wars universe as a result. But really, what it boils down to is this. The old stories still exist. It doesn't matter if they're official or not. You've read them, you've enjoyed them, or you've hated them and laughed about it with friends. No one is coming to take your books off your shelf. And now, you get a new beginning. More importantly, other people who may have had an interest get a new beginning, and that's honestly the best thing in the world for the EU fandom, an influx of new fans. Thanks for the podcast, guys. To new beginnings, Jeff Kenda. Well, you know, right out the gate out of new beginnings, I mean, Rebels is going to bring us Firefly with a Mal wielding a lightsaber. I mean, that's going to be fun. You mentioned, though, uh, you know, ripping apart or gushing about certain EU works, and I got to agree. I mean, you know, one thing that me and Riley don't always agree on is why people would rip on a thing uh you know i mean and how that's not fun for riley and like i tried to tell him i say you know if if ripping on things weren't fun then shows like rip tracks would never exist in the first place i mean there's a time and a place i think i think the issue comes in we have such a large fandom that when you're ripping on something well well let's take darth vader and the ninth assassin you know me and nathan were ripping on it like nobody's business there were other sites out there that were giving it top glowing five out of five stars and you know i mean that just blew our minds but that doesn't mean that that those five out of five stars weren't legitimate opinions uh you know and that i think is the thing that that we as fans need to remember is just because somebody's ripping on something doesn't necessarily mean that they hate it i mean sometimes hate is a way of showing love i mean you're so in love with the product that you can't stand how off it went for you in this regard and so you know there's that side of things that we also have to remember but i think by moving forward in this in this regard like you said if this is the heir to the empire point, you know, that's how I'm kind of trying to look at it too. Uh, when it comes to that disclaimer, that was a good opening warning. And honestly, they should have left that at the front of every single thing that they were doing that fell in the EU. I think that would have been helpful because it didn't help that they later went down and marketing wise put out other things that, that went in the face of that. I mean, you know, they had the things with the quote unquote official canon and stuff like that. And it just got so convoluted so fast. They should have left a disclaimer on that, so that way there would have been no doubt from the get-go. Um, maybe in that regard, as they put out the Legends line, maybe that's what they should do in each one of those. Or put a little page in at the beginning that explains what Legends is and how it differs from everything else. Uh, that would be a great thing to go forward as well, because I just... That conflict you know, that I mentioned with, with the Gushers and the Rip Apart people... You're going to get the same thing here when it comes to, you know, what is and isn't how we should be perceiving the canon and stuff. I mean, even though they try to clarify it, as we've seen it time and time through all these emails and stuff, people are still coming up with their own conclusions as to what that clarification meant. Yeah, I have to say that he 
pretty much put it, uh, he hit my thoughts on it pretty clearly as far as the accessibility thing and them not having any chance of ever actually following the EU when it came to the new movies and such. Um, I would say that this does accessibility quite a bit better than some of the things they were trying to do, like Star Wars Volume 2 and such, because no matter how much they tried to make something accessible, whether it was that, Razor's Edge, Honor Among Thieves, it still had that huge wall of stunk. I can tell you there are plenty of times I've looked at certain franchises and thought about getting into it and just said, screw it, I'm not going to do it, because there is way too much out there. And I'm the guy who's trying to go back and rewatch all the Doctor Whos that I've never seen before. Um, and at the moment is going through all the Law and Orders before I eventually wind up selling them to a buddy of mine. So, you know, it just, sometimes there's just too much. There's not enough time in the day, I feel like sometimes, to summarize just the new stuff onto the timeline. I can't imagine, and I've said yeah. this before, for years, I couldn't imagine being a new fan trying to get into the Star Wars EU. I, I just could not see someone doing it unless they were going to take the approach of reading my entire Star Wars timeline gold or reading all the way through page to page the Essential Chronologies and Essential Readers Companions. It would still leave them lacking quite a few of the bigger points and not necessarily seeing how all the specific connections were made. It's just, yeah, it, it's, it was way too much. And again, maybe this is something that could have happened earlier. But to the point that you raised of how they really probably should have left that label. And I do think they probably should have left that information on them. Uh, and you said that they sort of started to, to, to change the way that they were trying to portray this. And he mentions the whole blowing smoke up our asses. Um, let me point out to you, I have a first print copy of Heir to the Empire. In fact, it's signed by Timothy Zahn. And if you check out the text on the inside of the dust jacket, because on the back it's just kind of like the, uh, the opening crawl type of thing, but the dust jacket... The real solicitation text, um, I, want to say, I almost said sext. No, they were not sending naked pictures of Chewbacca. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. Um, but the solicitation text, the first three paragraphs of this thing, pretty much turn around and slap that warning in the face and make it sound as though these were meant to be something different than what they really theoretically were and what they wound up being with Legends and all. And it says... Here is the science fiction publishing event of the year, the exciting continuation of the legendary Star Wars saga. Picking up where the movie trilogy left off, Heir to the Empire reveals the tumultuous events that take place after the most popular series in motion picture history, masterfully told by Hugo Award-winning author Timothy Zahn. In spring 1977, a film called Star Wars was released, and a cultural phenomenon was born. Its epic story about a young man named Luke Skywalker whose destiny was to save the galaxy from conquest caught the imagination of millions and broke all box office records. Today, Star Wars and its sequels, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, are acknowledged as the most popular series in movie history and rank among the top ten films of all time. The three Star Wars films form a spectacular saga of bold imagination and high adventure, but the stories of its characters did not end there. Now, for the first time, Lucasfilm Limited, producer of the Star Wars movies, has authorized a continuation of this beloved story. In an astounding three-book cycle, Timothy Zahn continues the tale of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, and the other characters made world-famous by Star Wars, as he brilliantly expands upon George Lucas' stunning vision a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No big surprise that by reading that, there were plenty of people out there who thought the Thrawn trilogy back in the early 90s, and some even today, was supposed to be the sequel trilogy that he talked about back in the 80s before saying it was never meant to exist, and then turning around yeah. and saying, well, I said I wouldn't make any new films, not that someone else would, which is his newest <laughs> line of bullcrap. Um, so you wind up with some mixed messaging there. you got the stuff that West End Games put on their stuff that made it very clear, but then you've got 
the first friggin' EU novel of the official launch of the EU back in 1991, pretty much saying, yeah, this stuff is real, um, relative to the films, of course. So, yeah, they should have been clearer with their messaging all along, but that's always been the case. Their use of the yeah. word canon to mean different things, canon, quasi-canon, holy trilogy, GCS, etc., etc., um, there was no consistent messaging, and the result is that you've got a whole lot of confusion out there and now, at least, there may be a ton of confusion about the old stuff and some confusion about the new, but I think that there will certainly be greater clarity from this point forward, which by itself is a good thing, especially for new readers. Well, and I have a question that I'm going to bring up because of what he asked, uh, and I'm going to bring it up to you, Nathan, and to you Beyonders out there. I mean, please drop this on the comment. Give me an answer here. How are they going to combat this quote-unquote wall of stuff issue? that we had with the EU, the accessibility angle, with this new canon come 20 years from now, when you have 20 years of that same wall of stuff built up. I mean, are we going to have the same issue? Are we going to, are we destined to constantly see reboots because we get to that point where there's such a large wall of previous existing materials that it becomes too daunting for anyone to even want to get in. So, Hey, let's restart it again. Because in a lot of ways, that is what Marvel comics and DC comics do with their continuities. Oh, we've gotten to a point where it's really convoluted and we've taken this character through pretty much everything without restarting. Well, let's just restart. I mean, how are they going to combat that come 20 years from now if this new canon continues forward and, and creates an EU that is canon, that is Star Wars, and they get to that same issue? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to run into the exact same thing later on, plenty. Um, I have the sense that, I mean, this is kind of like, as you mentioned, the DC Universe thing. I, mean, I keep thinking, you know, this is Crisis on Infinite Earth slash the new 52, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's always going to wind up working out that way. That is the pitfall of having yourself a franchise that can exist for decades and decades and decades. Um, unless you've got something like Doctor Who, which has a lot of its own internal inconsistencies, and you find a way to keep it going, not really letting things cross over too much or be quite as interconnected, I don't know how you pull off something like that. Or you've got something like, I don't know, the Law & Order franchise that wound up lasting quite a while. I mean, heck, the original series was 20 freaking seasons long, but you focus more on the cases than on the individual characters and such, and it was all essentially chronological. You don't have episodes of Law and Order all of a sudden taking place back during season one. Um, it depends on their storytelling approach, but yeah, eventually you're going to find something that is just, you know, it's a wall of books again, and I would expect that if Star Wars as a franchise were to continue developing and not just kind of hit an end of storytelling within the next 20, 30 years, we'll see another one of these types of reboots at some point. See, one of the things I was thinking is, is if going forward, they're going to take each book and do more backstories of specific characters or specific events and things of that nature. I mean, right now we got a book focused on Tarkin. we got a book focusing on Palpatine and Vader together. We've got a book focusing on, uh, you know, the Rebels crew, the pilot and the Jedi man, as they're able to get together and how they got together. But this raises that aspect of, you know, those film-only fans that, that hated the books and the comics and weren't going to read those things. Now they're going to have to read these things to find out that backstory. But 
I wonder if they're just going to leave it like that, where they're only going to do backstories and filler stuff, but not say like something like with the New Jedi Order, where you know we're going to do 19 books and it's going to tell this huge epic event, and you're only going to know about this epic event in this, and then maybe we may reference it once or twice in the other stuff, but for the most part, it's all contained in these books here. Like, there's a couple approaches they could go in that regard that might make it more accessible, even though it's a huge wall, because then you're like, well, which character do I want to know a little bit more about? You know, unlike what we saw with the New Jedi Order, it was like from New Jedi Order, we moved into Darkness. From Darkness, we moved into the next one. And each one was, in a sense, kind of like a to a degree for Jason's character, especially Jason Solo. It was kind of a progression for that one character. I mean, they could do that or they could decide not to do that kind of storytelling when it comes to the books and the comics. Yeah, they've either got the a border dispute on Anseon. So let's make this crappy Alan Dean Foster novel to explain what that line meant type of approach they could take. I think the real test is going to be between the release of the films. When they've got Episode 7 out there and they're heading toward Episode 8, are they going to do bridging stories between the two? You would almost expect they would have to do it because that's what they've done in the past. But if they do bridging stories, how much will those bridging stories be referenced within those films? Um, will there be, for instance, if a major war has started, will major battles and major turning points happen in between, and will they be talked about in the other film. I guess it's sort of one of those types of a, uh, they may be canon, but will the things that used to be thought of as primary canon, the, the G or T canon, will the shows and the movies bother to reference the other stuff as much as the other stuff is referencing them? I doubt that's going to happen. Um, it really depends mm -hmm. on how much I think the story group is actively involved in the scripts. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, plotting out the basic gist of where the storytelling is going to go and what they want to tell. Uh, I still don't think they're going to make a saga in which it's necessary to read the books or the comics to understand the movies because then it sort of defeats yeah. their purpose. Well, and then the other side of it, you know sooner or later there's going to be an error. I mean, hopefully they won't have one. They'll be able to get around it. But I truly think sooner or later they're going to have an error. And once they have enough, we're going to see another canon levels thing start with the canon where you'll see, mm -hmm. you know, the films and stuff, the Clone Wars and the Rebels, you know, that stuff will all become the new, you know, whatever canon designation they give it and, and move forward within their own stuff. And they'll probably do like they did with the Holocron. Well, we're just keeping this for internal tracking purposes so we know which is which because – it, again, unless that story group is really just going and pouring over everything with a fine-tooth comb, which they could. They've got Chi and Pablo on there that I know of, and those two guys are pretty good at doing that kind of stuff. But there's a part of me that the realist in me says sooner or later there's going to be some errors, and then they're going to address that when that happens. But until now, they're going to pretend that that's never going to happen. Yeah, at some point there will be some need to decide what takes precedence, you know, say a novel's interpretation of events versus the film's. Um, especially since novelizations are usually written based on early versions of scripts, not what actually finally appears on screen. Uh, at some point, they're going to have to say, this film or this TV show trumps this thing in this book or this comic, and then we're right back to the reason why needing canon levels existed in the first place. Although, I mean, at this point, they could just say, well, here's a retcon, and it's all still just as real, including this retcon that we've, we've put out there. But I can't True. see them... Allowing, I've said this before, I can't see them allowing what happens in a book to trump what happens in a film. Um, that yeah, only absolutely. happened a few times, even in the original Expanded Universe, and that was always with Lucasfilm's explicit direction. Things like, okay, let's bring Boba Fett back to life, for instance, uh, after Return of the Jedi kind of stuff. Um, Alright, last one. 
this time around, because we are kind of running a bit long, as we expected this particular show to go. Um, we have one coming in from Jason Chipman, who says, Hi guys, love the podcast. Keep it up. Always in motion, the future is. Like everyone else, a bit of background. I first saw Star Wars in 1977 at the ripe old age of seven months. My midichlorians must have sensed it because a few years later when A New Hope was shown on HBO, they freaked out. At that time, HBO would show new movies upwards of 40 times the first month. My mom helped me set my wind-up Mickey Mouse alarm clock so I could watch it every time it came on. VCRs were new and out of our price range. To say I became a fan would be an understatement. When The Empire Strikes Back came to HBO, I made my dad get up early on his only day off of the week and set up the VCR to record it. I became the family technophile shortly thereafter. Toys and books flowed as money allowed. However, a couple of years after Return of the Jedi was released, Star Wars was overtaken by G.I. Joe and sports, and eventually girls. Years passed, and although I still loved the films, Star Wars was an afterthought. That is, until one fateful day when my mischievous ways actually benefited me. Helping clean my uncle's house as punishment for something I'm sure I was innocent of, I came across The Truce at Bakura. I actually missed it the first time I picked it up, as I was looking for magazines teenage boys often look for in their uncle's house. I immediately went on full alert. My mind raised with the possibilities. Books, comics, toys, movies? I asked if I could borrow the book and immediately fell in love all over again. I went into the Navy shortly after and began picking up every book I could find. For some reason, probably lack of money, I never got into comics as a kid and I still have it. Anyway, the EU became my alternate reality. I didn't have any friends that were EU fans, so it was my own slice of heaven. I didn't care how poorly written they were or how regurgitated the plots were. It was freaking Star Wars. When the re-releases happened, I must have dropped close to $500 seeing them. If I had a day off, I would screen hop to see them multiple times. I missed a lot of pop culture in the late 90s because I was at sea a lot. I didn't have any idea that a subculture of fandom existed. As the internet grew, my involvement did as well. I drifted away as the vitriol increased about the prequels. The way I see it, it was someone else's sandbox. I was happy to step in once in a while. I continue to consume as much of the EU as time and money allows. I have three boys under five years old and another due in September. I work full-time and am running for state representative in Missouri. I'm busy. The changeover is actually coming at a great time for me. My children will be able to grow up knowing everything coming out is really part of the whole, and I will know that what came before is a representation of the power of the saga. I will know that it helped me through the dark times, and my own dark times. I will know that it kept a light burning inside me. I will know that the EU, as it was, gave me hope, and I will be forever grateful. Thank you, Jason Chipman. Wow, Jason, that's uh, that's really good. Uh, you know, the last thing you touched, you know, the EU helping through dark times. Uh, I as well uh, went through some dark times. The EU helped me not just in life but also spiritually. Um, you know, there were some times where I was really struggling with my concepts of God and things like that. And, you know, the way that the Jedi were viewing the Force and stuff helped me kind of, of work through a lot of things religiously and spiritually that I was struggling with. And, and, uh, you know, it was invaluable, uh, that process for me, you know, just on a personal level, uh, you know, and, and thanks for the kind words about the podcast, you know, keep it up. We plan on it. Uh, we were, we're going to continue to follow the EU and legends products as we go forward, but that's not going to limit us here at beyond the films, you know, as a viewer, as a consumer of star Wars, 
we are all beyond the films. You know, you ponder about Star Wars and so do we. So, you know, I was just talking to William and we talk clones. You know, he's like, well, what are you guys going to do now? And I'm like, we're going to carry on. I mean, this doesn't change anything for us. <laughs> the, the, the hardest part right now is just clarifying to the listener which product we're going to be talking about because, you know, two cannons is twice as much fun for me. I mean, that's that's where I'm excited. That The, the, the scary part about all this is, you know, I now, you know, you mentioned not reading comics. I'm more on comics now than anything else. Uh, I absorb more of my Star Wars comics and stuff and even Marvel comics than anything else. And so as I move forward in that regard, I'm just like gobbling it up as much as I can. So, you know, I look forward to that and moving in that direction and, and having to be able to, you know, play with all that different stuff. And, and I don't know, I just go, I'm going around in circles. I've lost where I was going with this, but it's exciting. And Oh, yeah, I was telling William, I'm like, you know, just because the EU is as spread off doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, not cover the new stuff because it's still Star Wars and we are a Star Wars podcast. You know, yeah, we focus on a lot of the EU stuff because that's where our main passion comes from. But as the new universe goes forward, I and I'm pretty sure Nathan don't expect our passions to dry up and wither away. So, you know, don't 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 cut us short. Those of you out there thinking that just because the EU may be for all intents and purposes done right now. Our show is not. We're going to be doing lots and lots of stuff in the future. You know, we'll be talking about the old stuff. We'll be moving forward with the new stuff. You know, you name it, we're going to be there. Uh, so in that regard, thank you so much. And, and you had some great words. Uh, another thing that struck me, too, is, is the way the Internet grew. I think in the last 10 years especially, uh, the Internet has helped fandom and the fans reach and, and interact and, and, you know, reach out and share things on an unprecedented level. And I think that that, too, is going to help our fandom moving forward, uh, you know, as we all kind of struggle to come to the understanding and grips of what's going on um i i do think there's a lot of good times ahead and i think in that regard you know if we can stay open to that that we're all winning yeah that's definitely a good one to end the show on and that was not intentional folks none of these except for the one from facebook i believe it was have and uh, one other have been read prior to us actually going through and doing this show so this was all for the most part fresh for us um yeah, Star Wars certainly is something that has, has shaped a lot of lives, um, shaped or at least opened a lot of minds, I would say. I think a lot of, of my sense growing up of what a person was supposed to be, uh, the morality of things, you know, looking to try to be a good person and that sort of thing has always been stuff that was at least somewhat informed by Star Wars in general and how much of an impact it had on me very young. Uh, I see frustrating times ahead for some. I see exciting times ahead. I think it's going to be a mixture of things as we move from one era to another. But if nothing else, the Expanded Universe has done in a bigger way kind of what West End Games did. We talk about the dark times and the idea that for a while there, there were no new comics or novels before Heir to the Empire coming out. So it was, you know, the West End Games stuff that actually had to carry that over. And I did an episode of From the Star Wars Library on YouTube about this, because that Dark Times wasn't nearly as long as people make it out to be. Uh, the books ended and the newspaper strips ended, but the Marvel Comics stuff kept going, as did Droids and Ewoks on television, and then eventually Droids and Ewoks with the Star Comics stuff from Marvel. So that by the time those ended, and then they got through with the immediate release of the Blackthorn Star Wars 3D stuff, the Dark Times we think of between the, the 80s material and the 90s material wasn't nearly as long as people make it out to be. But it was the West End Games RPG that got us through that. But I would say that stepping back in a bigger sense, between 1983 and 1999, or you could say 1997 with the special editions, 
It was the EU that kept Star Wars alive and rekindled fandom for a lot of people. And even from 1999 onward, uh, for some, it was the EU that kept Star Wars alive for people who saw the prequels, didn't see in them what they saw in the classic trilogy, and perhaps might have left Star Wars as a fan had it not been for the effect of the novels, the comics, the video games, and so forth, keeping stories alive. Uh, even then, barring that, even if people love the prequels, I mean, generally with Star Wars, we have three years between films until what's coming up with Disney. There's a lot of things that can happen in three years that could divert someone's fandom or divert someone's focus away into something else. Um, it was the EU that kept Star Wars alive in the sense that it was going to continue despite what we thought was an end of films with Revenge of the Sith. And then it was the EU continuing in its own way um, that gave us the sense that maybe, just maybe, someday there would be eras of Star Wars free of Lucas's tinkering and things like the Clone Wars dropping the continuity nuke that it could keep going. But it was after 2008 where there sort of be a lot of sense that, wow, continuity was starting to become looser and looser and looser to the point where maybe at some point it wasn't going to matter at all, and you'd see a lot of eras with contradictions that would never be addressed, like what happened with the Clone Wars. I'd like to think that the EU has served its purpose. It has kept Star Wars fandom alive during periods in which, for whatever reason, Star Wars fandom might have been in decline. Um, but now, in a lot of ways, the EU has become that wall, and I would agree that probably the EU as a whole was losing more readers than it was bringing in, at least in terms of those who wanted to check out the entire saga rather than individual comic series they happened to see on a store shelf because of how much was there. Maybe this new announcement and these new films and Rebels can be the next thing that keeps Star Wars alive going into the next decade or decades. And yes, perhaps someday we will wind up seeing yet another reboot that then takes this new canon and says, well, that's not real anymore either. But in a sense, if we really care about the longevity of the saga, any of these changes, if what it does is what things like Crisis on Infinite Earths and the New 52 were meant to do with DC Comics, if they manage to extend the life of the saga, keep people interested, bring in new fans, and still be entertaining in the long run, basically they're doing their job. Uh, and we as fans hopefully will be able to continue enjoying them. Uh, the alternative would be to get so frustrated as to give up on Star Wars so it doesn't exist in any sense within our own fandom. Or I guess the, another alternative would be to say, well, if they're not going to follow the old EU, they shouldn't follow anything. But if all that we have going forward were to be films and rebels, I'm not sure how Star Wars survives in many respects after those films finally wrap up and after the Rebels series finally reaches its series finale. Something has to exist to stretch through those supposed dark times. And whether it's new EU, old EU, new canon, old canon, whatever you want to call it, it's there. And that's kind of the point of Beyond the Films and why we do the show. So we will still be here. The Star Wars Timeline Gold will still be here. And hopefully, so will you. Hey, you know, before we wrap up, the one point of view I was really hoping to kind of hear from in this was Andrew Gilbertson. Uh, I, I know... 
that he you, wasn't you too, too happy I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, I was just like, I was kind of really hoping his was going to show up in the midst of all of these. Like, I was, I kind of had this feeling you were going to save him for last, and then he didn't show I'm like, oh, man. Uh, so, see, this is a challenge out there to you, Andrew. We know your opinion was very heated on this and probably still is. Um, you are probably the opposite side of the spectrum to a lot of folks we heard from this time. So, please, yeah. take the time. Yeah. Send us an email and we can use it on a future a feedback show or something because I think yours is a point of view that we really should probably get out there because it is a balance on this stuff, um, particularly towards the negative side of what this all means. Yeah, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion just as everyone is. And, and I think that your opinion from what I've gathered of it, from what I've seen on the Facebook stuff – I, I think that uh, we need a representation of, you know, how you're feeling because I, I think you're not alone. Uh, you know, there's a part of me, I, as I, I mentioned in the beginning of our show, I'm the bipolar Star Wars fan right now. I go back and forth. I try to be as positive as I can because I, I firmly believe in my life that if I'm positive about things, that positivity comes back. You know, I, I, I do recognize the fact that it is fun to rip into things and, and, and do that stuff. But at the same time, I also don't want that to dominate my life. So I try to stay as positive as I can because it is very easy to slip into that other side of things and be really ticked off about all this. But I try to go the more positive route. So I'm very curious as to, you know, your full opinion on that. So, you know, like, like Nathan said, drop us a line or something, man. We'd love to hear from you. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you all once again for hanging around with us and we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. In fact, right now would be a perfect time. If you love our show, you love what we're doing, please let us know. If you don't, don't worry. Don't bother. Don't even take the time. Just don't listen. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It is our home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any other Star Wars and or EU slash legend questions or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles growing daily, and you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe slash Legends or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the fourth be with you. Don't quote us the odds that someday we'll see another reboot. I don't like the odds of that.
uh, stop. He, his paragraph breaks a little odd there. We're all an integral part of this Star Wars. Sorry, I was muted there for a second. Yeah, it's like, it's finally done. It's done. Okay, and. Wow. But don't act as if your nerddom is greater than my nerddom because you are. Because you are fing crazy! I'm trying to figure out. Because you are consumed. Uh, 1980s Star Wars publications like the Blackthorn. And somehow my phone just went off. Hang on. The Blackthorn Tinkle Tinkle Twinkle. Giving me, ding 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 ding. Yeah, it's it's no, no. It's six in the morning. Because it's not even freaking. It's giving me my reminders for Monday. Like no, trying to remind me Monday because it's six in the morning. You need to know about Monday right now. Okay. Dark Force. But we'll miss the mark of the Star Wars trilogy. Um, I will say also, though, oh crap, what was it I was going to respond to? Ah, shit. It totally, totally went out of my head. Um, let me see if I can find it here since you're using the restroom anyway. Uh, um, oh yeah, okay. Got it. I love the Star Wars EU from the time I first read Hunt. Ah. Uh, Tarkin by James Lucino comes out November 11th of this year, and then Heir uh, to the Jedi by Kevin Hearn. Wait, is it, is it November 11th or November 4th? I'm seeing the 4th on their press release on StarWars.com. Mm, maybe it's the 4th, I don't know. It is 3 when I did this. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing the 4th. Okay. Or you just say November. Yeah. Alright. November 11th of 2014, Heir to the Jedi by Kevin Hearn. Comes so you just out said 10. 11th again. I, I did. 